in the beginning. I always wanted to say that, in the beginning. <laughs> when I talk about in the beginning, I'm not talking about the beginning of humanity. I'm talking about my beginning. I'm talking about the, the moment where God began to um, come into my life as I said yes to him and, and no to the world. And I began to, 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 to walk with him. I was attending a major college in the city as I continued to pursue my education. And um, I found myself in a literature class. By the way, it was a secular school. I found myself in a literature class in which a professor uh, wanted to use the Bible as literature and poked at my faith. Not me personally, but in the room, made a statement about uh, the Bible that I felt was a personal affront. Of course, I was an A student, and suddenly I got a C in the class. But I realized that in what God was doing in my life, he wanted me to move away um, from whatever it is that I had been doing, and he wanted to bring me into a new place, and I was able, by the grace of God, to, to go into a Bible school. Um, Nyack had just come, and I'm an alumni of Nyack, and Nyack had just come into the city, and I was so grateful for it because I was praying because I didn't want to continue to have these moments in which my faith was going to be attacked. Now, mind you, the Bible says that if you follow Christ, you will be persecuted simply because you're not trying to be better. You're just trying to be different. Amen? And your difference will be challenged by those around you, especially if they knew you prior to your difference. Amen? So, so I, I wound up going to the school, and, and, and one of the things I loved about the school was that in the middle of the classes, they had chapel. Like, you would have classes, and in the middle of the day, they would stop everything. It was built into the curriculum that for 45 minutes, they would have chapel. We would have worship, we would have um, prayer, and they would invite someone to come in and speak to us the word of God. For me, that was exciting. That was like a time for me to continue to get nourished in my walk with the Lord. Not only was I going to a school where I was learning the Christian view to everything, but I was also being exposed to a chapel time in the middle of my school day. Like, who does that? Imagine it works. Somebody said, time out. All right, everybody stop working. We're going to church. Right? And, and that's what was happening. And I remember that, that day I sat in the front, and they invited this guest speaker after worship. And uh, this gentleman that was going to speak that day was all tatted up and wearing a sweatsuit. Now, my image of what I thought, what I believe someone should look like, having come out of a holiness movement, was affected at that moment. I was like, man, I can't listen to this guy. Like, like he, doesn't, he doesn't fit the bill. <laughs> like, he doesn't look like you know, he's supposed to, to look, in fact, in my eyes, right? Like, like I was, I, and we do that, right? We look at people, we categorize them, we, um, you know, put them in a, in, in a particular place and say, well, there's people like this and these people like this. And, and what I did was I sat there, I got to tell you that I was broken by his message. You see, God wanted to begin to challenge everything I believed, everything I used to live by, my view of him, my view of you, my view of myself. Like there was this, this, this moment where I was just broken and weeping in the front row. Mind you, listening to his story, you know, he came out of a lifestyle in which he was caught up. And I don't know if you know anything about the Low East Side between the 80s and the 90s, but it was rough. He came out of Alphabet City, and now God has sent them back into Alphabet City 
to minister to those that he had come out of. Amen? And, and it was powerful because what he was doing, what God was doing at that moment was, was just shattering the way that I viewed things. The way I looked at things. I can honestly say that I was biased. I was prejudiced. And I demonstrated a sense of discrimination by categorizing and placing an individual because of the way they looked that was contrary to what I thought. But I'm not the only one who does that. Like, really? You guys are sitting here, you're sizing me up already. So where's this guy going with this? <laughs> We do that regularly. We get on the train. We get on the bus. We walk down the streets. We, we look at people and we size them up. We place them in categories. And, and despite what we might say or not say, we are discriminating and being prejudiced because of our experiences, what we've heard, what we've been exposed to that may not be grounded in truth. We're coming to church regularly, we're listening to sermons, and we're still acting this way. Even in here, sometimes. We will look at one another and, and, and already we'll, we'll do a TSA thing. Nope, I'm not talking to that person. I'm not, I'm not going over there. No, here she comes. I'm going the other way. If we could be honest in this room, and I hope that we are, because it's in that moment that we're able to grow. I was broken in the front row by someone that I had kind of sized up. I want us to come into a room, to come into this narrative today. I want us all to be a fly on the wall. But we can hear a conversation between our Lord and a lawyer. Now, now, here's the big deal. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep creating schisms between us. You see, the Bible talks about unity and about community. And, and I love this church because it's a mosaic of people. This is what the church should look like. I can scan the room and I can say, okay, who's, you know, got this and ethnicity and who's this and who's that? Everybody will stand up and I'll tell you, we'll have a mosaic of people in this room that form this tapestry that should be what the church looks like everywhere. But Sunday, still to this day, not in this room, is the most segregated time of the week. Despite segregation being unconstitutional. The church still practices it. We have to, as a people, be able to move away from that and realize, listen, this, this, is, this is imperative. We're still doing this. You're still doing it. I'm still doing it at times. We, we have to be able to say, you know, that there's no truth that allows us to, to stand and say that I can do that, that I can get away with that. You know why? Because we're all sinners. Like we just hold on to that peace and realize that we're all sinners and the only way for us to show the world what it should look like is if we, the church, we that know the truth will walk across the room 
will lean left or right or forward and really say, hey, brother, hey, sister. It's important for us to do that. For us not to do it is not to reflect true gospel. We see it all over the place. There are people who are divided even in Congress. It's so funny the other day. I could not get over Pelosi's clap. I'm like, really? Like, you can't do this behind closed doors. You have to do it publicly. People's not standing. People standing. Perry saying yes. You know, uh, we, we had a conversation from the pulpit about polarization and, and, and black against white and women against. Listen, we need to stop that. And society needs to come to the church to see it demonstrated. But if we're not doing it, then how are we supposed to heal the hurt that's out there? We need to be able to look within and look at God's word and see how he addresses this. So today, that's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to be a fly in the wall in a conversation, in a discourse between our Lord and the lawyer. Amen? Amen. But you have to be very quiet. I know a lot of you like to talk, but if you're going to come into a conversation, I want you to eavesdrop. Come on, you all know about that stuff. You all know. Just want you to be very quiet and listen to the conversation. Amen? Amen. Uh, we stand when we read God's word. Why? Because we believe that God's word is above everything. Everything. You got troubles? Go to God's word. You have an argument? Yeah, you want to be right? No. Nope. Let's look at God's word. Amen? Okay, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And just, again, you're a fly on a wall. I'm just listening. Okay? And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, the lawyer, said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped them of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? 
and said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The focus on this story has always been on the mercy and compassion shown by the Samaritan. History, if you read the Bible, you realize that the Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. They were a mixed race, and because of that, the Jews had developed a disdain for them um, and did not want to associate with them. It's into this moment that Jesus wants to use this story not to point us to the benevolence or the mercy, although that is there and we need to embrace it, but he wants to talk to us about the transformation of the individual who viewed the other person this way. I shared with you earlier on how I viewed a certain individual who didn't fit my construct, didn't fit my view of what the person should look like and act like. God shattered my view and poked at my beliefs, and he challenged me, and he said, I need you to look at the world with different lenses. I need you to look at each other with different lenses. I need you to begin to see each other as I see you. How easy it is for us to get clean, get saved, get well, get a job, get it going on, and then forget about the fact that it was God who provided for us. We use a term, oh, there for the grace of God go I. And we develop this classism among ourselves. Even among same race, we get people that uh, feel that because I've arrived or I've accomplished, now I can look down on those. We leave our neighborhoods for the suburbs. And we realize that the way to change things is by staying and begin to help those around us. This lawyer started out with this whole idea of testing Jesus. I don't know why he would do that, but obviously he's a lawyer and he's got to fit the bill and do what he does best. But the question always lies is, and the question in the conversation is always about eternal life. What should I do to inherit eternal life? What I love about this, and this is a great leadership moment, is that Jesus gives him a question so that he can think about his thinking and therefore come up with the conclusion and the answer to what eternal life requires. Now, we all know that the only way to the Father is through the Son. We know that without Jesus, there is no way, there is no truth, there is no life, there is no resurrection. There is no Sunday, there is no moment like we have right now where we're able to come together and sing songs and pray prayers and be in silence and listen to God's word and fellowship with one another and embrace each other because God has loved us well. We need to love others well. I've learned from someone very dear to me that love is an action. Not just words, it's an action. If you look at the scriptures, it talks about different kinds of love. But, but this lawyer wanted to test Jesus, and, and I'm, a, I'm always concerned about those who want to test Jesus. Those who want to say, well, Jesus, if you're really real, then move this chair for me. If you're really real, take this you know, away from me. 
ultimately, you have to understand something. The power of God comes to us to help us in the moments. But you know what he looks at? He looks at your heart. How many of us have prayed, God, help me with this moment so you can get into the next one? How many of us have had those prayers where we said, God, take this away from me so that I can go do something else? Never acknowledging the source of life. Never going to him for it. This whole idea of him asking this question, okay, so what's written in the law? How do you read it? Tell me what you think of it. And of course, the young man comes out and says, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. All your soul. All your strength. All your mind. That means God wants all of you. How much does God want from you? All. You see, there's no way for you to get around this. If your mind is divided, if your heart is divided, if your soul is troubled, if your strength is given to something else, and we do that a lot, we give our energy to things that don't matter. Like this year, I decided I don't want to fight no more. I don't want to fight at home. I don't want to fight with the kids. I don't want to fight at work. I don't want to have road rage. I don't want to fight with anybody. It's just too much energy and you're giving energy to something that doesn't matter. So guess what? When you give something energy, you give it life. And when you give it life, it consumes you. So I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to argue anymore. Time is too valuable. And every time that, because as ministers, we're surrounded by death, we come to the conclusion, man, that everything, everything is vanity. And man, that doesn't matter. In light of eternity, we're going to keep fighting? You're going to go over there, and I'm going to go to my corner, and you're going to pout, and I'm going to pout, and the devil's going to have his way in your home, in your finances, with your friends, with your whatever it is that you're involved in. So, so you have to be mindful, and you have to ask yourself this question. That's why the song earlier, as the Spirit was leading, it's like it's got to be Jesus and nothing else. It's got to be all of you. Because here's what I know, right? I know this to be true, that if I have one foot in and one foot out, I'm not committed. Come on now. Right? If you're holding her hand and your eye is wandering, you're not committed. Come on now. And just because you wear shades in the dark don't mean I can't see you. We have to be mindful. You're either in or you're out. And the Bible even says that, right? You're either, you know, hot or you're cold, man. If you're warm, (laughs) it's a bad place to be. I don't want warm people around me. I want hot people around me. I want people who are on fire for Jesus because I got two kind of people in my life. Those that are leading me closer to the Lord and those that I'm trying to lead closer to the Lord. Everybody else has to take a back seat. I don't want to waste my time anymore. It's too valuable. And if you're as old as I am, you realize that Only so much has been promised. Everything after that is going to be a blessing. I want to reach the promise. (laughs) And then see what God does and he blesses me. Amen? But but, but he goes on to say that then he gives this story because it's not enough. You know what he does? This lawyer then tries to justify himself. Nobody here does that. Nobody here tries to justify, explain, right, why you did what you did. Well, if she didn't do that, I want to do this. If you would have said this, I would have said that. You know, there's a difference between reacting and responding. Does anybody know the difference? Yes. Reacting is that flesh of yours just getting its way. You know where you want to give somebody a piece of your mind? Right? You got to tell them about themselves. Right? See, a response invites God into these moments. 
A response is a pause where you say, okay, Lord, you have to come into this moment because my flesh wants to rule the day. And the Bible is clear, isn't it, right? That, 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 that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. And if you invite him into those moments, you'll get a response. And if you hold on to a word where you say, God, guard my mouth so that I may not offend. Why? Because my lenses now are that you also are made in the image of God. Maybe a different shade. Your eyes may be shaped different. Your, ear, your, you know, your hair may be different. Your height, your weight, all that may be different. But I said earlier, we're all sinners. We're all made in the image of God. We're all loved by God. We're all, all of us. John 3.16 is a universal invitation. It's not exclusive. And whatever you are, whatever you're feeling right now, just know that God loves you and God is for you. That means that he's for the person next to you. You may look at them and say, oh, man, I don't know about that person. How many of us in this room, someone felt that we weren't going to make it? Come on. I mean, really, we can raise our hands, our legs. You know, we can really, like, like someone told you, oh, you, you're never going to accomplish anything. This is what I love about Jesus. When we surrender and yield and we give him all our hearts, all our soul, our strength, and our mind, he does amazing things. People are still waiting for the sky to open up and part. Listen, the miracle is that you're here. You're waiting for this miracle, and you're already the miracle. You're already here. You're alive and well, and God is speaking to you and trying to draw you unto him so you can have a relationship with him. What does he want? He wants all of you. This lawyer tried to justify his reasoning. The way that he was living his life. He says, well, you know, this is what the word says and this is how I interpret it, you know, and your neighbor. And I can see some cynicism in his response. And I can see some attitude that he's giving Jesus here. And Jesus immediately shifts into, man, this guy needs a story. (laughs) I got to take this guy down, you know, like, 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 I got to take him down a path here so that he he can see. And he uses this amazing story. And he paints this picture for him. And he goes on and says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Now, in other scriptures, it says that this man was a Jew. If you parallel your Bibles, this man was a Jew, the guy who fell among thieves and wound up getting mugged and beat up, right? And, 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 and stripped. Listen to me. We've all had or have had our Jericho rogues. We've all have come down or taken paths that have stripped us of our dignity, of our self-worth, left us stripped and naked on the side of the road, exposed, wondering if there's any value in me, if there's any worth, if there's anything that I can or cannot do. And here's what I love about this story. And, And please hold on to it because this is just a moment that I want to insert this here. This there was a moment in my Jericho Road where this Galilean showed up. And he picked me up. And he embraced me. And he loved me and he, he worked me back to being whole. You see, you've had your Jericho Road and maybe you do have your Jericho Road, but there is a person by the name of Jesus who has not only paid the price to make you well, but was willing to shatter 
that view you might have had of God. I don't know about you, but I didn't want nothing to do with God. See, the God that was introduced to me, the God that I was exposed to was a punishing God, and I didn't need to be punished anymore. That was my view. And he shatters that. He shows up for me and he loves me unconditionally. He embraces me. He, he puts salve you know, on, on my wounds and he begins to heal me and begins to work through these things. Listen to me. I'm not there yet. There are still some scabs that need to be healed. There are still some wounds that i got to wrestle with. But here's what I know. That in the midst of that Jericho Road, in the midst of that experience, Jesus shows up. And not only does he grab me and pulls me into his bosom, but then he takes care of me. And then he puts me in an environment where I could be cared for. Come on, church. This is a welcoming and accepting place. If anything we've learned is that God's love given to us is not meant for us to keep it. It's meant for us to give it away but not giving it away just to the people you want to give it to. It's supposed to be given to those who need it most. Those who have been marginalized and stigmatized, those who are on the fringes of society, those that nobody wants anything to do with. Hello. Like you. Like me. This story goes on and I love it even more and more he gets stripped he gets left for dead but then he points out and by the way this road they they named it this bloody path like it was perfect for mugging people like it had cliffs like places to hide and so so it was a road already named that way it was a shortcut but you know what happens with a shortcut you take your chances And people would travel down this road. In this particular moment, this gentleman came through there. Then he gives us a view of two perspectives. One is a priest and a Levite. Which one are you? See, the priest is so religious, he has no time to stop. And then, of course, there were laws about touching an unclean thing or a dead body. You You couldn't stop to do that. And then on top of that, they're probably thinking like, oh man, this could be a trap. They could still be in the bushes. You see, those two that passed by, they thought if we stop, what's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to us? The Samaritan who stopped, he said, What's going to happen to him if I don't stop? It's a shift. He knew he was a Jew. His garb would probably demonstrate that because the Jews dressed a particular way. He didn't care. He didn't care about it. That's why this story, this narrative, when Jesus puts it at the feet of this young man, and this young man is you know, listening to this, and it's resonating, it's getting inside of him, and it's poking, and it's challenging everything he believes Everything he grew up believing, his view of God, people, and himself, and began to challenge that. And let me tell you something, that's the challenge today. Like some of us are, are coming to church, we're listening um, to the sermons, you know, we're, we're, we're reading our Bible, but we're missing the point. 
And the point is that the application requires you to begin to look at one another, to begin to look at God, yourself, and others through the lenses of how God sees it. Oh, if I don't, if I do this, you know, what's going to happen to me if I, no. We have to get outside ourselves and begin to realize it's not what's going to happen to you because God is with you and he's for you. What would happen to that person if I don't pause and I don't stop? See, we talk about the mercy of this text, but something is happening in the life of this individual who has looked at the Samaritans in a particular way. As Jesus is walking him through him, he probably identified initially with those who were religious and those, you know, the Levite. And he was like, oh man, that, that, that's, you know. But then he realizes, well, I can't. There's a shift happening, and there was a shift happening in me throughout my life, and it's still going on constantly. When I find myself in these moments, the more I read, the more I experience God, the more I walk across the room and shake somebody's hand that, that, that seems like he needs love. You ever come into a place and just stand in the corner and hope somebody says hi to you? You ever been in a crowded room and still feel like you're alone? Too. Me too. See, it, it took someone who had experienced the love of God and had realized how they were treated. And when God's love shows up, he shatters everything you believe. My concern is that some of you are being exposed every single Sunday, every single week to a message from the pulpit that challenges you to step outside of yourself, outside of your beliefs and your values and walk in the love and in the newness of Christ. Because that's where the power of reconciliation happens. That's where we shatter polarization. That's where we stop looking at people and saying, that's a bad person. Mind you, we live in a broken world. And the minute that sin entered, it has to move through people. You can't just sit in a vacuum. People are giving themselves over to that. I know because I gave myself over to it. I didn't know any better. I thought I didn't know any better. I didn't know right from wrong. My mother did teach me that. But I gravitated to what felt good. Are you listening to me? Wasn't grounded in the truth, but it felt good. We need to get outside of our feelings and be grounded in the truth. The truth of God's word. Amen? Amen. So, so he goes on, he has this conversation, he moves down further, and then Jesus says, you know, he shows him, he bandages him, takes care of him, he gives him a couple of days' wages, and he says, listen, take care of him. Whatever it costs, whatever it costs, whatever it costs, I'm willing to do. You know, sometimes walking that extra mile is going to cost us something. It's going, to, it's going to cost us something. It's amazing. I had a call in the middle of the week that, you know, someone we love dear and used to be part of this congregation. I was in the emergency room, and you know how those emergency rooms could be. It's like, you know, long hours. You don't eat anything. You think you can walk in and then walk out. And, and, and it was just rough to experience. And my wife, you know, whispered in my ear and said, hey, man, we need to do something here. And I'm all the way in Jersey. And, and I just, I just can't, you know, like I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, I wasn't feeling well as it was already. Um, but we live in a community of people who God wants to use to bring healing and comfort to others. 
And I made a call to Brooklyn, and, and the person who said, yeah, I'll go, and, and they went, and they were able to, to, do, to do that which God wants us to do. And to be there for one another as best we can. To, to realize you have been loved well. Each and every one of you in this room have been loved well. Whether you're in a program or whether, you know, you're, you're, you're here or you're there. Whatever it is you got going on in your life, just know that you've been loved well. And God will continue to love you. And this community will continue to love you. But here's what I tell the men regularly. I, I can't love you if I don't see you. You missed that one. You're being invited into a loving, caring community. And you won't come in. Like, uh, yeah, like, I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't understand. Like, like, you're being invited to come in. You're, you're starving for love. You, it's dripping through your body, your pores. It's coming out. I need love, I need love, I need love. And you're invited into an environment a community that has experienced love and wants to share it with you and you won't come in. There's no reason for us to suffer any longer. There's no reason for us to keep on using. Addicts do recover. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? Sinners learn how to sin less. <laughs> come on now. I mean, honestly, right? I mean, there are thoughts that pop into our heads. There, there are things we fail to do. Or, you know, like, they, you know, did everybody pray today? Because if you didn't, you're, you sinned. <laughs> right? Like, like this is because the Bible says, pray without ceasing, right? So we constantly have to be in communion with God, right? When you were coming here, was your mind focused on Jesus? Or was it focused on the fact that the four train was down? This young man now has the situation, and Jesus says, okay, so tell me. Tell me who showed mercy here. Now, after you face with the truth, like, what do you do? Like, no, I don't, don't, don't want to say, I don't, I don't say it. I tried testing this guy, and now look what he does to me. Now, you know, he's messing with me. You know, he, he's messing me up. I don't know what to do here. And, and, and he has to respond. And he says, well, the one who showed him mercy. I love this response by Jesus. He doesn't say, I told you. He doesn't say, I knew what you were up to. You know what he tells him? By his own admission, he realized now that the one who showed mercy is the one. And, and, and he says, go and do likewise. Like mercy has been shown to you. You sitting in your seat, love has been demonstrated to you. Go and do likewise. You can't argue with that. You want to argue with it? Argue with Jesus. I got to tell you, you're going to lose. He's always right. Imagine growing up in that house, brother of Jesus. Say, why can't you be like your brother? I'm not Jesus. Like we all say that sometimes. But this is what I know. When you come into Christ, he gives you the power and ability to be able to say to those things, no to those things that you've been saying yes to all your life. He gives you the power. And as you gaze your eyes upon him, you begin to realize how beautiful he is. 
and how awesome he is and how fantastic he is. And the more you read his love letter, the more he reveals himself to you through his reading, through the song, you begin to realize he is better. He is enough. I don't need anything else. And when those counterfeits come into your life, you're saying, why would I leave the truth, the way, and the life for a counterfeit? Well, why would I settle for less when he gave me more? Why would I settle for mediocrity when I am destined for greatness? Why would we do that? It's the way we look at the world, the way we look at ourselves, and the way we look at each other. The problems we have in society today, it's not black and white. It's not men and women. It's not this group against that group. It's sin. It's sin. However it manifests itself, it's sin. And the only one that came to do away with sin is not some peace treaty that we sign off on or some handshake. It was Jesus Christ himself that showed up and says, you want peace? I am peace. You want love? I am love. You want to learn how to reconcile within your family, outside of your family? Watch me. You want to care for those who need to be cared for? Watch me. And even when you feel you can't, he says, I've given you authority. Lord, I will be with you always. I will give you a helper. Why is it you think you need a helper? Because you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. You know, I, I got kids in school and I talked to him. I said, let me help you. He says, no, I don't want no help. I said, no, let me help you. No, I don't want no help. Okay, then do it yourself. Um, that's wrong. I'm sorry, but two plus two doesn't equal five. You want help? Some of you are still making that mistake. You think two plus two equals five. And then you justify and explain it. Well, you didn't see the one in the corner over there, and you add that up, and that's... <laughs> We're good at that. We've picked that up in this broken world where evil runs rampant and sin is present. We're always going to pick up these behaviors and things. I sat in that front row and judged that individual. I looked at him and I said, man, you can't be, you can't be right. <laughs> when I heard his story about what God had done in his life and how God had challenged him to go back into those places where no one else was going to go. No one else was going to go. Because in rough places to try to minister to those you know, guys in motorcycle clubs at the low east side at that time and drugs had just come into the city in 85. Crack was rampant. It just tore up the low east side. And this guy went in there. And by the way, I was in a class with his sons. And those kids went on to do the, the vision thing uh, for the high schools. And the other one started the youth explosion at Christ Tabernacle. Like these kids were on fire because their father was on fire. And he was committed. And here I was judging him. And when I sat down next to the young man, and he said, yo, that's my pops. It shattered what I believed, how I viewed. And I knew that in my walk with God, there were things that he had to begin to take away from me so that I can be effective for him. 
need to be able to realize that this lawyer came in thinking one way and he left with a command. I didn't tell you this. You told me. You said love the Lord of God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. Now, you told me who showed mercy. Go and do it. And for years, as we read this stuff, we, we focus on the charity and compassion of the Samaritan who demonstrates his concern for someone that he may have every right to feel a particular way towards. But can we just drop our sense of entitlement, our rights, and realize that there is a God who wants us to be able not only to show charity, but to be transformed in the way we think, in the way we see one another, in the way we act. The only way healing is going to come to this world, the only way healing is going to come to your community, the only way that healing is going to come to your home is where you get rid of your rights and realize that I've offended Christ. I've offended God in all that I do. So when I get offended, i got to go to him and say, God, is this the way I act towards you? i got to tell you sometimes, it is. So what happens if I hold on to this view? What will happen to you? What will happen to that person who needs love that's around you that doesn't look the way you want them to look? What happens to that newcomer that comes in still jittery? And all of a sudden, because you got some time under your belt and you cleaned up and shaved, right? And you don't drink that coffee. You come in with Starbucks. Come on now, I just touched somebody's toes, right? It's all of a sudden like, ouch, what did you just do that for? You don't realize I got a gift card. I got a gift card for Starbucks. I can come in Starbucks. You reach a certain status and you forget. We forget that we were that person that was looked on. I mean, I don't know about you, but people saw me and they crossed the street. They went a different direction. After a while, I stopped getting invited to places. I had to crash parties. Right? Yeah, like you don't get invited, I'm going anyway. <laughs> right? Because I have a right, don't I? I have a right to be in that party. But it's not true. So what happens? I'm going to close with this. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's not going to be on the screen. It's a familiar text. It says that we have to be what? transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Paul's word here for uh, being transformed is, is the word of, of, that we use for the metamorphosis of a butterfly. Right? And, and, and the change in the end is something completely different than was there before. This is how total transformation should be when it comes to our thinking and remember that thoughts determine our actions. The way I think about you, the way I feel about you, the way I view you, will cause me to act a particular way towards you. And we need to shatter that and begin to look at it through the lens. This story is not only about mercy, but about the transformation of a person who comes in thinking one way, they're exposed to the truth, and they walk away realizing Got to be different, completely different. We, we can't stay in this place. 
very hard for people to change their opinion, let alone to change the opinion of another person. We've all seen people become trapped by their words, yet instead of confessing to a fault, they will defend their words and actions in all hopes of appearing right, afraid of appearing weak. Paul says that in Christ, our thoughts become brand new. I have a new view on life today. But we all grew up with a view. And when God comes with his truth, our view has to change. Amen? In Christ, we're not trying to defend self. We are surrendering to him and going through a complete metamorphosis apart from other people's opinions. When our thinking is changed, our beliefs are changed. Our actions are changed. Our life is changed. Jesus Christ did not come to make you happy. He came to make you holy so that we could be the men and women that he will use to show the world how it's supposed to be. It's not a black and white. It's not a male, female. It's not women. It's, it's, it's a sin issue. And it nestles in our hearts. And from our hearts we speak we speak, but we believe, and it causes us to act a particular way. Our life for us right now, this moment, to just think about a person that used to come here. Maybe they're not here this week. Maybe they're not, you haven't seen them in a little while. Maybe you should pray for them. Maybe you have to scroll down through your phone. And, and say, man, I haven't seen this person in a little bit. And you reach out to them. We've talked about reconciliation. We talked about, you know, uh, being the hands and feet. We talked about opening ourselves up to being a church that serves, a church on mission. This is our command today. You have been shown mercy. You have been loved and loved well. Go and do likewise. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for exposing us in a loving and caring way. Reminding us, Lord, that in the midst of everything that goes on, there's a hurting world that needs healing. And who better to bring that healing than those that have been healed? Those who have been loved well, shown mercy, given grace, provided for, strengthened, encouraged. Why would you do that, Lord? If not for us to go and do likewise. Provoke us, Lord. Make us uncomfortable. And remind us, Lord, that it's not about us. It's about you. And what 
what you want to do through us and for us and for others as we demonstrate that which has been so freely given to us. Lord, there has to be a field where all this can manifest itself. And it's here, it's at home, it's out there, it's at the workplace. It's in all those places that we frequent that remind us the transformation that happens in us is so that we can bring it to the places that are in need. Remind us to look around us. There's someone that's not here today. There's someone that sat next to us or in front of us. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for not walking across this room and getting somebody's number and embracing someone and asking them their name. Lord, remind us of the church that we're supposed to be. Not some fancy building, but some fancy folk who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, it's you I need and nothing else. It's you I want and nothing else. Remind us that anything else that we try to bring in with Jesus will dilute my experience. And I want it all, God. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I want to be led by you. I want to make a difference. Be on mission. Do your will. Understand my purpose. I thank you once again. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.